Good morning, everybody. How are we doing, church? We, we hanging in there? All right. We got some, at least somebody in the band's excited, and that's what matters. I, uh, I want to say just real quickly, you may have seen online, uh, we're taking some steps to try to find ways to uh, keep you in the Word of God on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis. So we, we started a little pilot thing. We're going to try it, okay? If it doesn't work or if it, it's too much for us to handle during church, frankly, um, then we are going to uh, not do it any longer. But we're going to try because we think there might be some to it. Uh, those of you who have the Bible app, the Version Bible app, uh, if you'd like, you can uh, download that. Or if you already have it downloaded, open it up. Uh, down in the corner, there should be a, a little category that says more. If you click on that, you go to events, uh, all of a sudden it will locate you. And it will go, and it'll zoom you in to right here. You hit New Vintage SD, and this morning's sermon will pop up, okay? So in there are, there's the outline, more or less the outline. The biblical text is in there. A couple of illustrations with uh, some follow-up stuff in there. And then if you're a growth group leader, you'll be able to find the questions in here. Uh, or if you just want to study a little bit deeper, uh, then you can do that uh, as we go. Because we're trying to make this something that on a, uh, if you want to keep digesting it over the course of the week, you can do that. There's also a link to listen to the sermon online if you want to go back and review it. There's a link to, to give. They'll put other things in there that might be relevant to um, to what's going on over the, the course of the week. But we hope that you find it helpful. Again, the point is uh, just to uh, help us all be immersed a little bit more fully in the Word of God. So uh, take it. Uh, do me a favor, though. Here's what I ask of you. Uh, it, during church, please turn off your notifications, okay? Uh, don't get distracted. This is God's time. You, you got out of bed. You came here. This is God's time. All time's His time. That's actually the point of today's sermon. We can probably just go home now. Uh, and, and we, uh, but, but it's all His, right? And, and so we want to dedicate this time when we're going through the Word of God together uh, as kind of sacrosanct. This is all His, all right? So with that in mind, let's turn to Psalm 19. That's where we're going to get started. All right, we're kicking off a new series today called Well Done. Now that phrase, well done, does not just apply to steak or burgers. Uh, it is a phrase that is given during, in the parable of the talents in the New Testament that particular phrase is really used one time. It's at the end of the parable of the talents when the master returns to see what his servants have done uh, with the, the, what he's entrusted to them. And to those who have done well, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Well done. And throughout the Bible, there's this desire to please God. We see it most profoundly in the person and work of Christ, Amen. who comes with the explicit passion to do the will of his Father in heaven. And I want to set the table for us today and understand why that matters. Just simply ask the question, why should we bother wanting to please God at all? Right? Now that may seem, for those of you who have been in the faith a long time, it might be one of those deals and they picked up stones to, to stone him to death for even asking the question. But if you're not, if you're new to the faith or you're at church for the first time or whatever, that's not really a, an evident question. It's not self-evident why you would do that. Uh, and, and basically what the psalmist is going to do today, he's got a kind of a rather rational flow. All right, to the psalm. This was a hymn. It was sung in ancient Israel. Psalm of David. And basically, it says this. God is a far bigger deal than anybody thinks. Therefore, when he speaks and gives us instructions about how to live, those are priceless words. Therefore, and it ends kind of with a prayer, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God's far bigger deal 
than anybody can ever imagine. Therefore, when he bothers to say something or give us instruction, it's priceless. It's, it's more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. Uh, it restores people. It, and he just goes on this list. I'm just getting like, it praise is bursting forth from his heart. And so that kind of model is what we're going to use kind of throughout the series. God's a really big deal. And so when he gives us instructions on how we're supposed to live, it's not because he's a life coach. It's because he's God. And it's because there are things in this world that are greater than what I want at a given moment or what my personal goals are. And that the task of the Christian is to try and align our goals with God's vision for our lives, for his work in the world. And that when we do that, we are seeking the well done of God and we're likely to hear it. When we go after our own pursuits, when we go after our own stuff, and then try to throw a little dash of God on top to season it, it doesn't go as well. But, maybe to illustrate how we do this, let me begin with a a nursery rhyme before we get to the psalm. Once upon a time there was a man. He had a goose. That goose, he loved that goose. He petted the goose, he fed the goose, he visited the goose, he protected the goose, he loved that goose. One day he goes out to the nest and lo and behold there the goose has dropped an egg of solid gold in the nest. There he is. He's dropped an egg of solid gold in the nest but only one per day. So this is like a week's supply there that's dropped. One per day, he drops it, the man goes, could that be? And he takes it, and he examines it, and he takes it to market. And sure enough, it's an actual golden egg. So one per day, though, that's all he got. So he would take it, and gradually he begins to get rich, because gold eggs are worth a lot of money. So he takes it to market day after day. He takes that one egg that the goose lays, and he takes it to market, and he begins to get richer. But eventually, he decides, you know... I bet if I take the goose and cut it open, I could get all the eggs. And so that's what he does. He takes the goose, he opens it up, kills it, opens it up, only to find there are no eggs inside at all. And to find that now he no longer will be getting any eggs because he pursued the wrong thing. The story of the goose who laid the golden egg, I guess, could be a metaphor for how a lot of people approach discipleship. Uh, they, they see God as this person who's a provider of benefits to their life. And they follow God. They, they treat the goose well because they want to experience the joy of having the golden egg. The little bit that they experience of the way of God, they enjoy it. So they, they worship God for the benefits of God, not necessarily for the, the intrinsic worth of God himself. And eventually, there's always a tipping point. When you, when you start doing that, there's always that point where you just, you're never quite content because there's always something more. I could always, have, I could always be a little bit more happy. I could have a little bit more money. I could have a little bigger house, a little bigger car. I could be more happy in my job. Uh, I could find a better church. I could find a better preacher. I could find a better wife. I could find a better husband. In fact, who are these kids? Get rid of them. I want better kids. You know, and you just kind of keep going. I want more eggs. I want more eggs. And eventually what happens, there's a tipping point to where now the goose is expendable. 
because I'm after the eggs, and I think I can get more right now without the goose. And that's the journey of Israel over time. They're enslaved, they cry out to God, God delivers, God blesses. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Israel takes God for granted, rebels against God. They get sent into exile, they cry out to God, God rescues them, and the whole cycle just keeps going over and over and over again. This is a series really about discipleship, which is, is essentially just following Jesus all the way every day. That's discipleship in a nutshell. It's different than following Jesus occasionally or only when we think we need Him. It's following Him because He's worthy. He's worth following. Now the problem with many approaches to discipleship is that they come at it with a golden egg kind of approach, right? If you do this, He will do that. You scratch His back, He'll scratch yours. And really what the Bible tries to teach us is no, God does not, this is not a utilitarian relationship. This is something we do because the intrinsic worth of God in all of His splendor, in all of His majesty, if we could even capture that for a single second, it would change everything we believe. It would change everything that we do. It would change my days. It would change my nights. It would change the way that I sang when I was in church. It would change how early I got up to go to church. It would change the way I talked to my wife, talked to my kids. It would change the person I was in the workplace. It, was, it would change everything about who I am. And it would happen from the inside out. You guys, raise your hand if you've ever sat in an infrared sauna. Raise your hand. All right, one of us. All right. They're awesome. My wife has too. At Choose, the gym just up the street, they have infrared saunas. What's great about infrared saunas is that they're not that hot to sit in. You just go in, it doesn't feel like a normal sauna, which is extremely hot to the skin. So you're kind of like, okay, five minutes in, I'm, I'm done. You can sit in these suckers for a very long time. You really can. It's like, it, it says on there 148 degrees, but it feels about 85 in there. And the reason that you do it, now you don't even understand because it doesn't feel that hot, but you just start sweating like, I mean, absolutely bananas level of sweating. Like sweating like you can't possibly sweat any other way. Just everywhere, all down your face, everything. In 15 minutes, the whole floor is a mess. Like you just melt. Now, you know why? Because it roasts you from the inside out, not the outside in, like a normal sauna does. So it's a, there's your fitness tip for the morning, people. You came wanting a golden egg. There it is. No, I'm kidding. But that, that's it. Like, it roasts you from the inside out. That's the idea behind what the psalmist is about to take us through is it's in the recognition of God's worthiness that the transformation of the believer takes place. That moment, that aha, that, that transformative place where you go, well, if that's really the truth, if I really believe that, then I should be listening to everything God ever has to say to me. Ever. And not only that, but if He says something that rubs me the wrong way, I understand that it's altogether probably right, it's good, it's better than whatever my own uh, dreams might be or whatever I might think. So I'm going to conform my path, my journey, my convictions, my beliefs to what He teaches. Rather than seeking either the, my own, the satiation of my own desires, or, or as we're going to talk about this morning, the applause of others. The ever-fleeting applause of others rather than the applause of heaven. When we learn to desire God's well done, 
more than the well done of others or the satiation of our own desires, the blessings follow. But if I go around seeking what I believe are the golden eggs of life, then I miss it, and I tend to eventually discard the goose. And I find myself with nothing. This morning we're going to look at Psalm 19 and ask the question, why should we care whether or not God's pleased with us? Why not just pursue our own goals? Do what works for us? The short answer is because He's worthy. He's greater than whatever we think works for us. He's just greater. And irony of ironies, that works. So with that in mind, we're going to go all the way through Psalm 19, but we're going to read 1 to 6 to start. Let's do it. Psalm 19. Now, I want you to pay attention to the verbs, okay? How many verbs are in here? The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. So when does it stop? It doesn't. (laughs) So the heavens, the skies, everything's declaring the glory of God. Day after day, night after night, verse 3, they speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. Now listen to this description. I love this. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. Now listen to these descriptions. I mean, extremely powerful. You got it. You get the whole skies, and they're just preaching about how great God is everywhere, everywhere, all night, every night. And they do it excitedly, like a, like a bridegroom on his wedding day. I was doing some premarital counseling yesterday. They got some twinkles in their eyes, man. They do. They are ready. They got two months left for the wedding day. All the preparations are ready. The dress is picked out. All is calm for now until the panic starts happening. So now they can twinkle in the eye, right? Now they can start looking forward to it. Now they can start doing those things. And if you've ever seen a couple at a reception, what it's like as soon as it's done, that's the image that's given. Like a bridegroom springing forth on his wedding day. It rejoices like an athlete eager to run the race. You ever seen a track star get down in the starting blocks just chomping at the bit or a boxer in the ring right before they ring the bell and he's bouncing around and he's just ready to go. He's ready to go. That's, that's how creation is. It's like, I can't wait. I'm ready to declare the glory of God. So what kind of God is this then? If the sun and the moon, the stars in the sky, basically hold their breath until the next opportunity to declare the glory of God, how great must he be? I mean, I guess the question becomes, if everything declares the glory of God, and it's doing it at that volume and that constancy, why in the world wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I? Who am I to simply say, no, my life's not going to do that. I know it's good enough for the sun and the moon and the stars and for them to do it in that way for that long. But for me, 
I got things to do. I'm busy. I mean, look at these people, these, these Christians that think, I mean, look, God's great and all, and, and I'm glad they put on the Easter service or I wouldn't have anywhere to go on that day. But serve him on a daily basis? And the psalmist is going to go down this, this thing, but he, he starts with this, picture it almost like a, a camera lens, and he starts as far out as he can possibly get. Sun, moon, stars, night, and day. They never stop preaching the glory of God. They never stop. They do it with such enthusiasm, like a bridegroom bursting forth on his wedding day. Like an athlete, right before the starting pistol goes off. That's what they're like. Practically begging to say the next word. Whoa. Do we understand, sisters and brothers, in whose view we are living our lives? Do we understand the majesty of the name we speak when we simply say God? How majestic His name is. Just saying it out loud. Do we understand the mandate of creation to glorify its Creator like it can't help it? That's the kind of God we serve. So then, I want to hear, for Him to say to me, well done, would be overwhelming. For Him to even notice me is overwhelming. For Him to actually be able to say to me, good job, Tim. You made me happy. You pleased me today. That is amazing. It's amazing to think that He would do that. And yes, I'd rather hear that than a thousand homies online say, hey man, cute picture. Sure, putting it together. You go, king. Whatever they're going to say. I don't care. When you compare it to that. Amen. Holy cow. Holy goose, I guess you should say. <laughs> All right. And then he goes on from there. God's will shows his glory and goodness, okay? Psalm 19, 7 to 11. Here we go. Now listen to how he describes the instructions of God. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. Each one's fair. That's not fair. Yes, it is. <laughs> They're fair. They are more desirable than gold, even golden eggs, even the finest gold. Verse 10, they are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey him. So, in a nutshell, in case you missed it, here's what they are. Perfect, reviving, trustworthy. They make wise the simple. They're right. They bring joy. They're clear. They give insight. They're pure. They last forever. They're true. They're fair. They're more desirable than gold. They're sweeter than honey. They're a warning and they're a great reward to those who obey them. Wow. Woo! Give me some of that. That's what I say. Amen. Then speak, Lord. 
If a God that great gives me words like that, why would I listen to anybody else? The question isn't, why would I care what God thinks? The question is, why in the world wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? We all used to do this. We used to be able to kind of in the open say what we thought about faith. You used to be able to act like a Christian in public. You used to be able to do whatever. But there was a, a button, a little, little symbol that changed absolutely everything about the way we do life. Want to see it? Here it is on the screen. That's it. Now, I'm active on social media. Social media is not all evil, okay? It's not. It's really not. There's a lot of great things that happen. It helps keep us connected, et cetera, et cetera. But with that little invention, so much changed. Because now everything we did and everything we shared had that button next to it. And so when you put something up and nobody likes it, now you have the chance to know what people thought. At least you think that's what you, you have. Now we assess the validity of things by who likes what we post and how many times they like it. Who likes it? Random people? Randos? As we or people that actually matter in our little social ladder in our mind. That little invention changes everything. And here's why this matters. Because we will do nearly anything to fit in to the crowd. To the point that we would rather be wrong with the crowd than right by ourselves. They first discovered that tendency among chimpanzees. I put them in rooms and gave them uh, different uh, nuts of different sizes, acorns and walnuts and different things, and tried to get them to open those. And so there are some methods that are more efficient than others. Some of you, if you've ever been to a ballpark and you get a peanut uh, out of a bag of ballpark peanuts, uh, there are, you can tell who the people that have been to a game before, who those people are. I mean, some people can just throw it in their mouth, crack it open, everything without even using their hands. Just, you know. <laughs> Like, okay, we got us a pro here, man. Other people, you know, they have their hands and they're just, you know, it's getting all over the place and drool's coming out of their mouth and they don't know what they're doing, okay? So the chimpanzees, there was both. They, they had one group that, where the chimpanzees figured it out very early, the best way to open uh, the peanuts. And then in the other one, they kind of struggled. So what they did was they took one of the chimpanzees that really knew how to pop those things right open, throw them in their mouth and move on, and they'd put him in the group of people that were like remedial, thinking he'll teach them how to do it. But you know what happened was, no, he stopped doing the effective way because he didn't want to stand out. And he started doing it the less effective way. Because everybody else was slobbering and drooling all over themselves, he said, well, that's what I'm going to do. Even though he knew how to do it the right way. I mean, that's how we conform to things. The normal behavior of the tribe, so to speak, over, often overpowers the desired behavior of the individual to the point that we would rather be wrong with the crowd than right by ourselves, which is why it matters so much who we surround ourselves with. We just finished summer. This is the place that contentment goes to die in the summer. Did you go on social media this summer and see a picture from anybody that you just thought, doggone it. I wish I could take that vacation. Man, I wish, you know, you, you, you liked your vacation until you saw theirs. 
Now you're like, geez, I wish I could be on the shores of Bali, except in some world-class margarita playing golf at that resort and everything. I like my vacation. I felt pretty good until I saw that. You felt pretty good about the weight you lost until you saw how much she'd lost. See how this works? And so what do we do? Do we look at that and go, no, you know what? I recognize now that God does not value me for the way I look. No, what do we do? We try to fit in to the point that some people take vacations that they never planned to take. They never wanted to take them, but they do it because they feel like they ought to take them. Why? Because everybody else is going on vacation. I had no plan to do it. We can't afford it. But let's do it anyway, because if I don't, I don't fit. And when this gets into the spiritual realm, it gets really, really tough, guys. Because there is something to be about being a follower of Jesus that means by nature you're not going to fit. Does that make sense? Even what I just read, if I were to go out to the corner of Juniper and Grand, where I'm going to be saying the same thing for hopefully years to come, okay, there are going to be people that walk in church for the first time, and they're going to go, that's nuts, it's crazy, man. And they don't understand how powerful the crowd is. Those of you who've had an undergraduate psychology class may have heard of a man by the name of Solomon Ash. He came up with this little drill. Let's go ahead and put the picture up on the screen. So he put uh, people, again, in, in groups, and he said, all right, on the right, you have A, B, and C. On the left, you have a line. Tell me which one. A, B, or C is the same length as the one on the left. Go ahead. Tell me, folks. C. You're right. Now, the problem was uh, that he decided to see how powerful the, the powers of suggestion in the group were. So he decided that uh, he would bring in a person and then he would add people into the room to say, no, I think it's, it's A. And that person would go, you're crazy, man. It's C, you know. And, but they were actors, right? The, the people saying it's A are actors. But they sent him into the room and what they realized was that he could get people to say it was A even though they knew it was C by just putting enough people in the room who said it was A. To the tune of 75% of the time, they could get the person to flip. If you put up to eight people in the room saying the opposite, they could get them to change their opinion. So when you're out in a world like the one we're in, and people are going, no, that's crazy, that's crazy, that's crazy, and you're going, no, 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 it's C. It's Jesus. No, it's not, it's A. No, it's not, it's C. And you hear enough people do it. There's an overwhelming temptation to say, you know what, maybe it is A. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe, it's, maybe they're right and I'm wrong. And just fit in. And the challenge has never been stronger. And those of you who are, I'll use the term spiritually single, you're here, you're married to somebody who's not a believer. Or, or you once were married to somebody who was a believer and now you don't have that. Or, or you've got friends, you're surrounded by people who think you're absolutely crazy for following Jesus. This is going to matter. This series is going to matter. Because we are more likely to begin to think and act like those around us unless we are firmly rooted somewhere else in the way, and I mean, in the deepest parts of who we are. That's why we got to roast from the inside first, the inside out. The biggest obstacle often to our spiritual growth is confusion created by trying to pursue God's will while being heavily influenced by people pursuing something else. It's, it's people standing there going, no, 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 it's A, it's A. Now, you can see by faith that it's C. 
But then putting yourself in proximity to people that are saying, hey, 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 it's hey, you're crazy. You're crazy if you say that. You're wrong. You're this. You're intolerant. You're whatever. It's A. It's A. It's A. It's A. It's A. You're crazy. It's A. To the point that you would change the way that you think. This is one of the reasons why it's important to be in the Word. Because you need to give the one that makes the heavens dance the first word. Because when he says it's C, it's C. (laughs) And it starts to hush everybody else. It starts to say, it must be C. And so, yeah, I will have the courage to go ahead and say, along with the psalmist, the law is perfect. It's reviving. It's perfect. Reviving the soul. Trustworthy. Making wise the simple. Right. Bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear. They give insight. Pure lasting forever, true, fair, more desirable than gold, even finest gold, sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb, a warning to your servant, a great reward to those who obey them, right? That, that's what the commands of God are. So it doesn't always make for great Instagram posts, I'm not going to lie, but it makes for good truth to live by. God's approval is all we need. Lastly, uh, Psalm 19, 20 to four, 12 to 14 says this. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. This is a prayer. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. You want a verse to memorize this week? Here's one. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, O my rock and my redeemer. Trying to please the wrong person will make us kings and queens of the wrong hill. Let me give you something. I've always fantasized about playing the drums here at NBC. I'm not going to lie. You play a song like Christ is Enough or Glorious Day. We have two drum anthems in here. And I watch Mike and I kind of go, I would love to be able to do that. So let's just say I did. Let's say that, uh, let's say that I went in here and I got in the cage. Uh, you know, if there are people on podcasts, are going to be extremely confused by this segment. Um, but I have always wanted to be in here. Now, you might be going, what are you doing, Tim? And if I said, I'm not going to preach anymore, I'm going to be your drummer at NBC. And you asked me why. And I said, because I want to. Fight me, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm in this cage. <laughs> You're not pulling me out, all right? And I just stayed in here, and I... Uh, even that just gives me chills. I just, you know, I am. See, see, Mikey, wherever you are, man, you're my hero, right? And I'm sitting in here, and I, I just wanted to play the drums. It's all a man wants in his life. I just want to play the drums. Now, y'all are sitting there going, what are you doing in the drum cage, moron? 
And then you would say, that's great, but when the time for actual music needs to be played, we want Mikey in the drum cage, not you. And if I said, and if I said you know what, that's fine, but I am not leaving the drum cage because I want to be in the drum cage, okay? Fight me, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and, and maybe you would or something to pull me out of here and then check me in where I could get the help I needed and, and, and uh, we'd all be fine, right? The reason that it would seem so absurd is for two reasons. Number one is I can't play the drums at all, okay? At all, at all, okay? But if I want to do it anyway, what it ends up happening is I go ahead and my desire to do it makes me go ahead and do it anyway. And the reason it's kind of offensive, really, is because the point of having a person in the drum cage during worship is to facilitate the worship of God, which means my desire to play the drums is irrelevant. Does that make sense? When the body of Christ gathers, my desire to play the drums doesn't matter. You know why? Because it's more important. Lifting up the name of Jesus is more important. The fact that there are people other than myself in the room matters, does it not? So if I were to go ahead and say, you know what, I hereby retire from preaching. I am now the drummer at MVC. Uh, you know what, and, and uh, Mike, you've served us well. God bless you, brother. Here we go. I'm in the drum cage from now on. No, 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 no. And that's why we have to understand that when we gather here, here's what we do. The reason Mikey's in that cage is yes, because he's a great drummer. But there's another reason he's in that cage. Because he has a heart for worship that says, I'm going to lend what I have to the body so that we together can worship God and make some holy noise, so to speak, Amen. to the Lord. So, so, so that's, I have to think when we make a decision, I'm going to go live that way because I want to, that it's that out of tune in heaven. That they go, they, that God, figuratively speaking, looks down and goes, get out of the drum cage, dude. No, I, dude, look, I got things to do on Sundays, you know. I don't need groups. I don't need serve or whatever. I'm glad people are there so that they can serve. And when I come in, the lights and the sound and the setup and the teardown's all done. And the coffee's made and the chairs are out. And da, 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 da. I'm glad they do that. Don't get me wrong. But me doing that is a waste of time, you know. I'm going to go do whatever. I wonder if God, when it's like me going in the drum cage, what are you doing? But I want to do that. I want to do that, not that. Get out of the drum cage, dude. Like, it's not about what you want. If you're a Christian, here's what it does. It means, to go back to the psalm here. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sun, the moon, the stars. How often do they do it? It never stops. It never stops. Oh my, so he's that great. And then you know what? He tells me how to live. And the testimony of the Bible says if you want to please God, it means that you, you give your heart and mind and soul and strength fully to the mission of his son. Okay? His, the mission of his son in the world. Why? Because he's just greater. And I, as his creation, as one he's created, now there's a call on my life. Now instead of me looking at that begrudgingly, do you read the psalm and go, he looks miserable? Are you kidding me? This guy's just overflowing with praise. He's like, the law of God, man, it's, it's more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. It's, it's, it restores the soul. It, I mean, he's almost Shakespearean about how he does it. He's just very, 
very dramatic about it because he's in love with whatever God says. Right? So, so don't, what I'm saying to you essentially, Christian, is if, you're, if your heart's not given over to God and you've kind of decided, you know what, I know God wants me to do that, but I'm going to do that instead, then I beg you, get out of the drum cage. Don't just do what you want and say to heck with everybody else. I'm going to do what I want to do. Align yourself with the mission of God and watch Watch what happens. Watch how much easier life is. And I don't mean easy in the way that we use the term easy. When you're in the jet stream of the grace of God and you're actually traveling the direction that God wants you to go, you're going to be fine. God's got your back. When you try to fly the other way, it's like uh, an airplane trying to fly against the jet stream. You can do it. It takes a lot more energy. You don't get as far as fast. The Christian heart says, here's what I want. Here's what would make my day. To know that when I'm done with my day, I pleased my Father in heaven. Amen. That's all I need. Uh, Facebook pulled up a, uh, a moment for me this morning. Those little things that basically on this day you know, however many years ago. It was 2013, okay, which is six years ago, I guess, if my math of magicianship is right. Six years ago today, I put this on, on social media. I said, I'm having one of those, I can't believe I get to do this mornings. Thank you, Lord, for New Vintage. And I just said, it hadn't changed. Because what in the world would I rather do then align myself with what I think God's call in my life is. Maybe there's something better. The psalmist doesn't think so. I don't think so. Scripture doesn't think so. And so the question becomes, okay, then what is his call? What is he asking me to do? Follow his son every day, all the way. And as we do that, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means your heart is inclined toward God night and day, night and day. And like the heavens, we declare the glory of God night after night, day after day. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.9, so whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. So we need to be a community that seeks the well done of God so that in our, you know, so, so that the people who come into our midst are oriented toward the cross. If they're going to be influenced by us, we, want them to be, we don't want to be the people that say, hey, it's A, when it's actually C. We're supposed to be truth-tellers. We're supposed to be people who do this. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how do we transform our desires? How do I make decisions that honor God when it seems like i got these two things and both of them seem right? I don't know what to do. How do I tell what I'm supposed to do in that particular case so that I can honor God on a daily basis. We're going to talk about some spiritual disciplines that will help us that way. But I want to, um, as we kind of head toward home plate here, take you back to the early church, Acts chapter 4. The apostles are there. It's on the other side of the cross. And they've just healed somebody. And they've gone around preaching Jesus and the whole town's kind of in an uproar, so they arrest them. Bring them in. And they start kind of harumphing 
you know, who, who gave you the power to do this? And then that just opens the door for them to preach, and so they just start going on. Well, Jesus, the one who, in whom the resurrection of the dead takes place, in whom this happens, and they just start preaching. They're like, okay, 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 okay. They go confer. They take a time out. They go huddle up, and they go, all right, look, we can't say anything because the guy they healed is actually standing right here, so we can't deny it happened. Can't do so. We're going to put them on double secret probation, basically. They go back out there, and they say, hey, look, we strictly warn you not to say anything else about this Jesus guy. And you know what they say? Whether it's right to please you or please God, well, we're going to please God. And so they just keep on preaching. So here's my challenge for you. Do something that you know the masses might disapprove of this week, that God would be pleased with. Do something intentionally that you know is going to make people roll their eyes at you, but God's going to be pleased with. You won't have to look very hard. All right? But as you go forward this week, have an Acts 4 moment. Have that moment where somebody has to tell you to stop doing it or says you're crazy or says, but it pleases God. Which is different than just intentionally being a jerk. Okay? This is, this is different than that. This is, I know that it would please God if I did X. And I know that might draw some heat or some scrutiny from people. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because what it does is, it develops the discipline of being bold. And us listening for a different voice when we, when we live. The well done of God. Okay? So with that in mind, we're going to turn our, our eyes toward the Lord's table. And we're going to remember Jesus, the one who pleased God more than anybody else. And at his baptism, God said he was well pleased with his son. The one that we follow on a daily basis. The one who's well done when it's all said and done. We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. That's who we're remembering at this time. We take the bread and the cup, symbols of the body and blood of Christ and his sacrifice for us, and how he pleased his Father by fulfilling his mission to come and do that very thing so that I could spend my life glorifying God. So this time, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the example of Jesus Christ, we give you thanks. We honor you, we worship you, we adore you. We remember your word which says that When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. And Father, I pray that right now, there are people in here who are feeling pressure. They're feeling pressure from the masses out there or from somebody close to them that that thinks they're crazy for doing what they're doing. Strengthen them, Lord. Give them boldness. Give them a desire to hear your well done over the well done of others. Maybe this morning, Father, you could give us just a slight glimmer a palpable sense of how amazing you are. One that just makes, the one that makes the sun and the moon and the stars just get up and scream without stopping of your glory. May our lives, Father, be a daily glorification of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.